All right, welcome into episode 55 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, who's here for a limited time only today, but he's here. Trouble? Yes. Trouble episode 55? Yeah. Not this? <laughs> Craig has been planning this for 54 episodes, and it all came to fruition, so I'm not sure if he's going to keep doing the podcast Finally. after today. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski. I'm back. I haven't done this show in a couple weeks because we didn't do it two weeks ago. It was our rare weekly. We do. We miss one week a year, and that was it for this year. And then last week I wasn't here, so I didn't get to give my predictions. Well, last week you just didn't bother to show up. We, we were here. Craig and I just Flat fought through like this yeah, snow, yes. sleet, yeah. rain, and we got here and we recorded a show, but you, know, you just didn't care about us. I, uh, I've heard that that show was like two people sitting in a car with no driver. That's how it's been described by me. But uh, So basically I heard it from myself. <laughs> uh, that explains. I think you need to get that checked out. <laughs> we were complimentary about you. We're, oh, really? Okay. I still don't listen, now. but I will be listening. Don't That's you worry. I'll, I'll be double checking. Hey, don't go that. back and listen. Or just trust us. I'm going to go back and listen. Uh, I didn't get to give any of my predictions, so I'm just going to give two. One's fairly bold, I think. I'm sure you guys will shoot it down and mock me, and then when I'm proven to be wrong at the end of the year, you'll be like, that was stupid. And then the other one is just simply, you guys may have both already said this, I think Connor McDavid finishes in the top three uh, in the Art Ross race. And and that, obviously now that he has six points in, what, three or four games, it looks a little (laughs) like it's been influenced. But that was my prediction. I haven't sent to myself from a week ago. Sure you did, but uh, there's room on the bandwagon for you, Luke. (laughs) I feel like this Connor McDavid character is going to be good. Uh, My other bold prediction, or this is the bold one, Anaheim or L.A., one of them, at least one of them, does not make the playoffs. You said that too, Craig? Anaheim okay. was my surprise team to miss the playoffs. That was mine, too. So you just listened to the podcast, really, right? Yeah, you got me. Just just cheating off our homework? Neither one of those teams looks right. No, Anaheim, Anaheim looks all wrong right now. It's yeah. almost like they, they regressed when they hired a coach that didn't get the job done for them a while ago. Well, and we talked about this, too, when we, when we previewed Anaheim. Once... Once the wheels start to come off this year, and they seem to start slow every year now, it's going to be a lot easier, I think, for them to, to just sort of fall apart because Randy Carlisle's message isn't a new one. They've had this five years ago. So it's, it's to me, is a, if you're looking for a top eight team in the West to drop out, and at least a couple do every year, that's the one that makes the most sense. They've got talent, but, I mean, they've got talent on the top scoring line. That's about it right now. And that's really good news if you're a Coyotes or Flames fan because I think, I'll speak for myself, I think five teams come out of the Central this year, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Luke and Craig, but... That means that create a spot there for Pacific Division team, and if Anaheim or L.A. or, shudder to think, both drop out of the top of the Pacific there, that opens up for one of those young, fast teams to test their feet in the playoff waters a little bit. Yeah, and this is what we were talking about a little bit last week, is how this the Pacific Division right now looks like it's on the verge of just flipping, where the bottom comes up, the bottom drops to the bottom. The top drops to the bottom. That was so the confusing. The bottom would already be there. <laughs> that would be a 360. <laughs> so yes. San Jose, though we so, we agree, will be so you're fine. We're just gonna brush right over that. Just we're gonna ignore Craig's comment. Yeah, we're just, we're just gonna we're move gonna right along. Right who who on. let Craig in here? Really? Was, it, was there any point to what I was saying? Well, no. I'm I'm trying to say as as the rest of the league, the bottom goes all the way around back to the bottom. Apparently, San Jose is eventually. Just, yes. <laughs> well, look, that, that's that's the Edmonton theory. Eventually the bottom, the bottom just finds its way back to the bottom. <laughs> yes, it's all that's cyclical, right? The bottom finds its way back to the bottom. It's all the science. Edmonton Oilers story. <laughs> the um. The Sharks, are, we agree, are going to stay in the top three. I think Anaheim drops out. With Jamie, I agree that, that five teams should come out of the Central. 
I don't think L.A. necessarily, I think one of them drops out, but it wouldn't shock me if they both did, especially because L.A. does not have a goalie. And this is a legitimate issue now because it's not like Jonathan Quick's coming back next week and the guys that they have replacing him cannot stop a puck. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to add to that other than to say L.A. has not looked good in front of those goaltenders either. No. And I don't know how much of that is, you know... (laughs) Nerves about who is manning the pipes at the time. You know, Jonathan Quick obviously has done some great things for this franchise for a very long time, but they're not a good possession team right now either. It's way too small a sample size to form any judgments, but that's something to watch going forward here as well because if that goes away, that's been their trademark for so many years. If that goes away, yeah, I could see him dropping out of the playoff race altogether. Yeah, we saw some cracks in the armor in the postseason mm-hmm. last year. Now it carries over in this season, and again, it's too early to tell. But now you're starting to make a bigger and bigger sample size, and you start to wonder if that cup window is already closed. Oh, I think I think the cup window yeah. is, is at least temporarily closed. I don't think they're winning the cup this year. I just when I look at those two teams, I still think LA is is more likely to pull it together in November or December or whatever. Whenever they get quick back, I think we agree they're going to go on like a nine game winning streak. That's it's just the thing we've seen that act from them too, yes. where they've they've struggled and they all all LA has to do is get in. They've they've proven that before that they just get into the playoffs and they can do some damage with the style they play. But I just think what's interesting in that Pacific Division is that Calgary is a fast team with with upside, and the Coyotes are a fast team with upside. And I may get laughed off the set right here. Edmonton is a fast team with upside. Not that I'm saying Edmonton's going to make the playoffs, but if you are a slower team... You know, if you're L.A., a couple of years ago, you were looking at the Coyotes and Flames and Oilers as, okay, There's we'll play those guys about 15 times a season. We're probably going to get 10 to a dozen wins. I, I, those wins aren't coming easy for L.A. or Anaheim against those teams anymore, so you got to figure they're going to take a hit there. And it's not even, especially with L.A., it's not a knock on the Kings. It's just that I could see one of those three teams sneaking in. I even would put Edmonton in there. They'd be my distant a lot of weird things would have to happen, but enough where they could cause problems for a team like L.A., and especially Anaheim, who they do seem like their window might be closed. Yeah, Anaheim's never been a great possession team anyway. Uh, L.A. has been. I think that's another thing working against them. We saw last year when the Coyotes played Anaheim several times, the speed of the Coyotes' forwards just killed them. They, yeah. they could not match up with it. And obviously this league is going more and more in that direction. When you talk about Edmonton now with Connor McDavid, who is ridiculously fast, I think we've all agreed at some point he's going to elevate them to the playoffs, at least, if not cup contention. I think Anaheim's in big trouble with this division right now. I just remember watching those early games against the Coyotes last year and, and having the same reaction that, I'm trying to think, like when, when you saw Shaq play in the NBA, you're like, teams can't stop this guy. Like, th- this is weird. Like, we're seeing the game change. When Michael Vick was, was at his best in the NFL, it was like, this guy's going to win five Super Bowls because they can't keep up with him now. Obviously, that never happened. But... I had that thought watching the Coyotes play the Ducks, and then the next thought was the Coyotes aren't the only fast team in the the Pacific Division or the Western Conference. Anaheim's going to have issues down the line. They were my pick to go to the Stanley Cup last year out of the West, and you know I'm I'm well off that bandwagon this year. Yeah, well, and at what point do we start to take a look at some of the players and the superstars on that roster? Uh, I mean, we I think we all agree that even though it didn't get to the Cup, Bruce Boudreau is a pretty darn good coach. And now at that point, you have to start to wonder, as that team continues to underperform in the postseason, and again, let's say they continue to underperform in the regular season this time around, you've got to look at the superstars on that team and that roster construction first. This is, might not be a coaching issue. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. We, talk, we also talked about that last week, about what sort of impact Woodrow's departure would be, because you can say whatever you want about his Game 7 failures, but this guy's had a lot of success in the regular season. 
and he's gotten teams to produce. They, they are productive offensively. Without him and without that element in Anaheim's game, they have a lot of other issues in their game. If they lose that, they might be in trouble. Well, and that's the other thing. Even if, if Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff do what they've been doing, that team could still struggle. I mean, that, that's one line. And they've got a little bit of, of offensive input on the second line from a guy like Ricard Raquel, but they don't have a ton after that. And it's not like they have some amazing offensive prospect ready to step in and wow everybody with a 25-goal season. You know, we, we, I think Hampus Lindholm was their fifth leading scorer last year, and he's not even sixth right. leading scorer, and he's not even signed at this point. So I don't know, just something to watch. But going back to the uh, – But before we move on completely, I wonder if – and I think go back to that Anaheim-Winnipeg series a couple years ago. Where Anaheim, they, they got the sweep, but I would say it was the closest sweep of all time because all the, the games series. were in overtime. They, and they were losing in the third period, I think, at three of them. That was maybe the first sign, even though they went on to have a little bit of success that postseason, that this was coming to an end. And I think it's kind of obvious now that their run is, is pretty much over. I, I just don't – well, I can foresee a scenario in which L.A. gets back into the mix and we're talking about them in March as a team that maybe can do something. I don't see Anaheim in that mix. I think Anaheim's going to look back to Jamie's point. Uh, to two years ago when they lost to the Blackhawks in a series that they probably felt like they could win. I mean, they were up in that series, and they're going to realize that may have been their last chance to win the Cup here for a few years. And then they're going to look at Antoine Vermette and be like, you're the guy that took us out, and you're on our team now. So <laughs> we've come full circle. All right. Well, wow. See that? That's that's putting a bow on it, actually. Yeah, it is. But it is. That was their se- chance at a second Cup in, in the Ryan Getzloff era. You get two Cups, you've got a nice legacy, but... It's, it's almost going to look like a flash in the pan now, and they just couldn't sustain that. You guys success. totally agreed with my bold prediction, which kind of makes it seem less bold at this point. You, so what do you think? Are you predicting violence against Antoine Vermette? No, no, no. I just I think he ended Anaheim's run, and now he's there. Corey Ferry's still there. I mean. That's, that is a fair point. Uh, before we move on to the next topic, Jamie asked me to open with one thing, and I couldn't even do that. No. So Why even bother having you here? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Uh, we have the so we have the iTunes feed. You may have to explain this better than me, but essentially the old iTunes feed is not updating. We there is a new one that is updating. Yeah, so we've we've received a couple questions on Twitter about uh, the iTunes feed just not downloading new episodes. So when we switched over platforms, uh, it created actually like a new feed inside of iTunes instead of just reusing the old feed. So if you search Natural Hattrick in iTunes, click on the one that has the Today's Slapshot logo on it and subscribe to that. That's the one that's updating constantly. It'll update with this episode. So that's the one to, to subscribe to if you're on iTunes. If you listen to us on Stitcher, if you listen to us on Audio Boom, anywhere else, just look for Natural Hattrick and you'll see our most recent episodes. Good. I just wanted you to explain that so I could move my microphone without it being a major distraction. Yeah, you, you, it's a nice luxury that you have your own microphone. Jamie and I are sharing one right now because... B- budget cuts. We've got, we've got microphones out apparently covering Michael Jordan in the football league. Well, I just thought you guys wanted, or, wanted to be in a barbershop quartet, and this was the closest you were ever going to get to it. Oh, we were talking about that. Yeah, go ahead. No. <laughs> Since, uh, well, we, Craig and I have to share a microphone here because this is really the Luke Lipinski show. Yeah, we're, can I have that one too? We're, we're basically your backup singers, oh, okay. so that's what today's Lipinski list was going to be. And what I'll go out on is, what is our name as your back? What, what is our band name? We're Since throwing the, that out to you listeners too. Yeah. To, you know, and this will tell us if you're actually you know, paying attention at least for the first 10 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> so you have to come up with a name for the two of us, Jamie and Craig Morgan. Jamie Eisner, Craig Morgan. I have ideas of my own, but maybe I shouldn't throw them out there. Well, uh, you have to let me think about this for a little bit while we're doing the show, because I, I can't just have that sprung on me. Luke Lipinski and Middle East Harmony with the two of us, you know. <laughs> That's all I've got. Never mind, I can't top that. It's, it, it almost sounds like a late 90s uh, boy band, too. 
So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to <laughs> lower to go after that. Um, we were talking about Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. We have we haven't done this yet. We haven't had a show since he had his four goal game. It well, happened. Some of us have. No, actually, you haven't. Some of us. That was have talked to him. That was, talked about him a little bit. That you know, we talked about Austin Matthews, but his four goal game was after you guys recorded the show last week. Because <laughs> as is the norm on this show, the uh, the big news always happens right after we record. It is weird. It's uncanny. What is it about Wednesdays? Maybe we need to move this to Thursdays. That, that would just push all the news back an extra day anyway. We do set the agenda for the NHL. Uh, as we record this, the Maple Leafs have played two games. They will play the Winnipeg Jets tonight in what some are calling a major rivalry, <laughs> which I can't, can't necessarily get behind just yet. I don't think the cities of Toronto and Winnipeg hate each other, and I'm pretty sure Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine don't have any problems with each other, but either way, Austin Matthews, four goals in his debut. Uh, it's unreal. What were your reactions as that was happening, Craig? Just, just stunned. I, I did not. You know, I... I I think I, I think most people expected him to make an impact in his rookie season, but you know, not not certainly not a point per game guy, and certainly not doing something like that. You know, setting NHL history in his first appearance in yeah. the league, it was remarkable. And we had James Myrtle on a few weeks ago from the Globe and Mail, talking about Austin Matthews mania in Toronto, and, and telling us at the time he didn't feel like it was quite hyped enough. He didn't feel like this kid was getting enough attention for how good he thought he was going to be. And then he goes out in game one and scores four goals. I don't think that's going to be a problem anymore in Toronto. I think people are paying attention to Austin Matthews. No, if they were trying to temper their expectations and not get burned, and I'm talking to a Cubs fan right here, so you All know. Right. <laughs> wow, we had to go there that soon. <laughs> you know, but that, that series is two to one. That series is far from over. But you know the feeling of, all right, these guys have got my hopes up before. I'm going to slowly build my expectations. I feel like that's what Toronto fans were trying to do with Austin Matthews, and he blew that right out of the water by scoring goals on his first three NHL shots, and then another one with two and a half seconds left in the second period. Yeah, he probably has ruined it for them. Yes. He, now he's ramping up expectations beyond probably what's fair. So now they're living in my world, actually. <laughs> How does that feel? Is there room in your world for a bunch of Maple Leafs fans? <sighs> yeah, I guess there is. And Toronto has... Uh, William Nylander and Mitch Marner, who happen to be pretty good as well. That's a fun team to watch. I will, uh, I will be tuning in for Jets Maple Leafs tonight, and that's not something I could have necessarily said a year ago. Come on, that is a natural rivalry. A lot of people think of Winnipeg as their natural rival, don't they? <laughs> it's, it's kind of everybody's natural rival. They're like the Yankees of hockey. Uh, Austin Matthews, that night he gets the four goals. Later on that evening, I was waiting to play local hockey here in Arizona, actually on the same sheet of ice where Austin Matthews grew up oh, playing wow. hockey. Oh, wow. Did we just go there? Did we, we did. make that connection? Absolutely did. Jamie, right? I, I did not score Jamie's behind goals. the glass now. Jamie's everywhere. Did you yourself in a he, text the other he, day? He can't. Jamie, Jamie can't participate in all of the podcast today because he's, he's actually running 17 sites today. <laughs> but he did say he would be staring at us through the glass like a dog left out in the rain. He's going to be he's uh, about, he's no, scratching no, on the glass. Sorry, you can't have the visual. <laughs> no, but we can try and paint a vivid picture. He's definitely scratching on the glass and looking sad. Anyway, the whole point I was trying to make is, A, you have to wait till 11 o'clock at night to play hockey here because hockey is bigger here than people outside of the city realize because the ice is always full. And B, it gave me a chance to watch Oilers Flames, which is, is as much as I'm pulling for Austin Matthews, as great as that debut was, as great as I think he's going to be. I think he can live up to the hype. And if he lives up to the hype, quite frankly, 20 years from now, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Connor McDavid he's ridiculous. is scary good. Yeah, he's ridiculous, and he's so fast. I don't think I had 
an appreciation for how fast he is. Even when you remember that YouTube video that was going around of him back checking and chasing down a play. Yeah. Even then, I, watching him in several games now, there's just not a tool missing in this kid's toolbox. He's he is going to be the next guy in this league, and he's not far away from being it right now. No, he really isn't. And I'm glad you you. you focused on the speed because that's what got me too when when you watch these guys play junior hockey well yeah he's going to be the number one pick in the draft he's going to stand out you know Mitch Marner was was not even a number one pick that year he stood out I remember watching Connor McDavid when he was with the Erie Otters and you didn't the best way I could describe it was you didn't even have to look at his jersey number you could just tell it was him on the ice because he it was like it was like you were playing a video game and he was on turbo the whole time or he had some sort of cheat code where he was just faster and, and better than everybody but you don't know how that's going to translate into the NHL. I'm watching him play Calgary that night, and Calgary's got some fast players. None of them could keep up with him. It wasn't even close. Yeah. That's and, scary. And, and the way – obviously he has ridiculous offensive talents, but and we're, we're going to see his defensive game develop. I do think he's that prototypical center that can play both ways. He's going to be able to make up for any, – any defensive deficiencies he has, he's going to be able to make up for them because he's so fast he can recover. It's just such a tool to have. I keep wondering where this league is going. It just seems to get faster every year. Do we get to the point where we actually do need larger ice surfaces to accommodate the kind of players that they're putting out there? It's insane to watch some of these guys right now. I, it's, it's a good question because I never thought the NHL was slow, and yet you can see a yeah. noticeable difference over the last, what would you say, about the last three, four, five years? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much faster it's gotten, and some of it is you know, because Connor McDavid is in this league now. But it's not just him. I mean, there are a lot of players now that if you put them in the league back in the, the 80s, they would be they would stand out as being so much faster than everybody else. And, and here's another thing I'll say with McDavid. You know, if you watch football, if you, you know, if you're a football fan, you see a guy that comes out and he runs a 4-3-40 or whatever. Eventually that speed goes away and he has to change his game. For the most part in the NHL, if you're, just hockey in general, if you're a fast skater, you're a fast skater. You're going to be a fast skater in your late 30s if you're still playing. That that doesn't necessarily go away. Yeah, you don't take the beating that you do in football. No. Where it destroys your body. But, yeah, it's, it is where it's going. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because there have been conversations recently about how there's not enough creativity in the game. And I, I can't help wondering. It was from major players. Wayne Gretzky said it himself in an interview. I can't help wondering if that... You know, all this, all this talk about lack of creativity was ill-timed because we're seeing this wave of young players. Now, maybe there's not as much freelancing, and, and I don't think coaches are ever going to give that up. You need to play sound defensively. If you look at hockey in the 80s, the, uh, you know, which a lot of people are citing as, oh, it was the golden age of hockey, they were terrible defensively. There were so many defensive breakdowns. You're not going to see that anymore because the coaching is so much better. But the speed we've got in the game has driven scoring right back up, and, and I think that's what everybody was looking for, aside from you know the artistic plays. You want to see more offense, and you and I were talking about this, Jamie, we were talking about this before the show. Scoring's up across the league. It's only a few games into the season, but it's up, you know, like half a goal per team, so like a goal per game which, right now. Which is considerable. We were talking about this before the show, and, I mean, how many how many times have we seen games hit double digits and goals already combined between the two teams? We Last saw it. night, Rangers beat San Jose 7-4. Blackhawks beat Philadelphia 7-4. Ottawa beats the Coyotes 7-4. So three games. Three 11-goal games yeah. in one night. And... I, you know, we, we looked it up, and it's basically, roughly, a year ago, your average goals per game, per game, not per team, we're about five and a half, and right now it's about six and a half. That is significant. I came in here thinking it was going to be like eight 
Uh, obviously, that's that's a little exaggeration, but still. You're, you're just basing it off last night, probably. Well, I mean, I, how about that opening night? Mm-hmm. Austin Matthews gets four by himself, and then I'm watching the Oilers-Flames. And, <laughs> and they lost, but that was a nine-goal game. Yes. Uh, the Oilers-Flames game that night, I believe, was a ten-goal game. So, by the way, Brian Elliott looks great in Calgary. Um, yeah, we, were, we were talking about Cal. We, we can get to that in a minute because Calgary does not look great. <laughs> they don't. Brian Elliott doesn't look like he's ever played goalie before. Uh, just in general, the, the goals across the league are up. And, you know, I, I go back to that, that first night. San Jose and L.A. played a low-scoring 2-1 game. But I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier. L.A. is a team that wants to win 2-1 games or 1-0 games. And I don't know if you can do that in this league. You certainly can't without a goalie. But just in general, those teams that are that are, are used to kind of grinding out wins, that's going to be a lot tougher in this day and age. Yeah, be- between the speed, and I, I, you haven't talked to anyone yet. Um, I want to maybe revisit this story in a couple weeks if this trend continues, because it could be you know an early season thing where teams are still, still figuring out systems, still figuring out each other's personnel, and maybe we'll tighten things up as we go along in the season. I think that's what you're going to hear from some of the coaches. But scoring may still remain higher because of the speed, and because we're, there's this trend of younger players in the league because of the cap issues, younger players aren't as disciplined defensively, so we may see more mistakes. We may, may see a little bit more wide-open game than we've seen in years past. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, and we're not going to be averaging 6.5 goals per game all year. It, it's going to regress a little bit back to the mean. And like you said, coaches are going to figure this out. They're going to implement their systems more so than they could in the first week of the season. They're going to start to key on guys. I don't know. Connor McDavid maybe isn't the greatest example here because you're not going to be able to just shut down Connor McDavid. But a lot of these other rookies or second-year or third-year players that are just going off, I think some of them you can limit a little bit. But I still think scoring is going to be up across the league by the end of this year too because this wave of, of new players, are they're built to score goals. Whereas in the past, I mean, there was there was a a range of years there where guys were built to come in and just be complete players and, and be that all around. You know, the, who's a good example of this? Like Jonathan Davis is a great example. He gets you points, but he plays an all-around game. There's a lot of just skill creative guys right now coming in, and that's, that's going to raise the level of scoring. And, and also, who's looked good in net so far this season? <laughs> yeah, it's, again, it's early, so it's, it's, it's hard to judge. But, yeah, that, that could be one of the impacts here. Yeah, I don't know. If, if equipment, when they when they finally institute those changes, maybe they won't now after they look at the stats this season. It's like, wait, we've solved this problem already. But maybe that'll impact this game even more if, if you shrink the goaltending equipment. There are a lot of people who don't think it'll matter, to be honest. But I think this is good from a fan standpoint. It's probably going to drive coaches crazy. It's definitely going to drive Dave Tippett crazy to have to play these kinds of games. <laughs> it is. Where he can't control as much. But but he's got a team that now, potentially, yes, at least going forward, can score, too. I mean, he's he's got one of the teams that adds the speed. A whole lot of skill on the wings and maybe up the middle as if these guys pan out. But, yeah, it's it's going in a different direction, and I think it's good for the fans. Should we hit on the, uh, the Coyotes real quick? Because we are based out of uh, Arizona here. They've only played two games. But I think there are two stories... To me, worth talking about in the first two games. The first one's kind of a, a downer at the moment because we don't know the exact update on Mike Smith. If you want to talk about goalies that look good early in the season, he actually was looking better than most, uh, but he got hurt on Tuesday night. So we don't know as we record this. I'm not going to speculate how long he may or may not be out. The other story, Jacob Chickren, who didn't play in the second game, but he did play in the first one. I did a story yesterday for today's Slapshot on, on I think it was six of the, the rookie defensemen to keep an eye on this year that aren't Shane Gostisbehere, obviously, but maybe could, could become... Not, nobody's going to do this year what Shane Gostisbehere did last year. But Chikrin was right near the bottom of that list. I think Zach Wierenski and Yvonne Provorov are at the top of that list. 
Chikrin's been interesting at just 18 years of age. He's another one of those speed puck moving guys, but he plays defense. Yeah, and he had that he had that goal in the first game here. Obviously, the only game he's played so far where he highlighted a lot of his abilities. First of all, the vision. Max Domi has the puck on the half wall, and Jacob Chikrin sees a lane ahead of him, and he takes off. Now, you can say, okay, are, are you risking something? The puck's still in your zone. Maybe you shouldn't do that. But you have to, you have to be able to calculate the risk. That's, that's what any coach will tell you. It's, it's okay to take risks. You just have to understand if the odds are in your favor. He had a clear lane. Max Domi's the guy with the puck. You know the guy can dish. So he takes off. Domi finds him. And while he didn't, you know, he didn't score, he actually missed the net on his shot. He stayed with it, used his speed, got it out in front, and Martin Hansel scores. That's the kind of thing that the Coyotes are going to want as well. You know, you talk about defensemen carrying the puck out of zone, getting up to your forwards. It's also nice when your defenseman can jump into the play and create offense that way. Instinctually, too. Yes. When you're going to take a risk, you have to take it. You can't hesitate. You can't be indecisive because in that split second, then you get burned. Uh, you could tell it was instinct. You know, I don't know if he had the time to think, well, that's Max Domi with the puck. Not only is he a great passer, he's probably not going to lose the puck either. So I'm probably not going to get burned if I jump up the ice, only because he has only played with Max Domi for a couple weeks. Oh, really. yeah, no, like the back of their hand. Oh, well, then in that case, he knew. <laughs> uh, either way, though, I mean, what, when I was writing that story yesterday, just looking at it, with, with young defensemen and, and Chikrin and uh, Mikhail Sergachev is another one making the jump right from this year's draft into the league. Usually those guys don't make that jump. Usually you wait a couple years, and then you break in. So with Chikrin and Sergachev, and look, Sergachev's in Montreal, so maybe they won't be patient with him. Just understand, anything those guys do this year is sort of gravy. And with the Coyotes, they've got Chikrin insulated because they've got Alex Goligoski and Oliver ekman Larson and, and basically a lot of relatively veteran players back there around him. They can just slide Chikrin in whenever they want. Montreal's in a similar situation. They don't have as good of a defense, but... Those are two guys, two very young defensemen to keep an eye on. And then Zach Wierenski, I think, is just going to be a beast in Columbus. It may not show. They may lose every game. They're on pace to do that again this year, it feels like. But he looks good. <laughs> I am curious how the Coyotes are going to manage both Chikrin and, and their centers. It's, it's something to watch because Dave Tippett has said in the past, you know, if you make this team, you're, you may, you're on the roster. He doesn't like those nine-game trials. I think he may have changed his mind a little bit on that. And part of that may be what's happening around the league. Again, this youth movement, the, the need to do this for cap. But the Coyotes have a really beefed-up development staff in place now as well. Steve Sullivan has done a fantastic job. They've got Mike Van Ryn for their defenseman. And Don Braid's there every, every day. You know, you want to work with Don Braid for 30 minutes on your skating? Yeah, let's go out right now and do it. I'm wondering, and they're still feeling out this process. They don't know yet what they're going to do with either, either one of those situations. But Tip said that he could rotate... Uh, Dylan Strom and Christian Dvorak in at center. Jacob Chikrin could be the same situation where, okay, let's get him in for a few games. Let's evaluate what he's done. Then let's get him back with our development staff, working with them to work on some of those issues, and then put him back in. That might be more beneficial at this point to those guys than going back to juniors. Yeah, it's it's quite the conundrum for the Coyotes. And I think ultimately it's a good problem to have. But you know, with Chikrin, and he also took a nasty run into the wall at the end of that game where I, I thought he was going to be out for six weeks after Sorry, that, man. and then he, he finished that game. That's not why he didn't play in the second game. It's more, to your point, Kevin Connaughton comes back. They have more depth on defense, and they're, they're looking for a rotation back there right now. But with the centers, and specifically Strom and Dvorak, I know a lot of people are confused by this. Of, of, you know, Dvorak, 
you hear about Dylan Strom all this time, and he's number three overall pick, and he comes in, he has a decent camp, and then he doesn't play in the first game. And then Christian Dvorak gets an assist, and it wasn't a garbage assist. He won the faceoff and set the play up, and he in sits... the offensive zone, yeah. Yeah, and he sits the second game. The thing is, you've got Martin Hansel already taking up a center spot in the top six. You're not going to put Dylan Strom or Christian Dvorak as your fourth-line center, and they love Laurent Dauphin, so they're not going to move him out of the lineup unless they absolutely have to. So in a weird way, and maybe maybe I'm simplifying this too much, Craig, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it almost seems like every night we're going to see Strom or Dvorak. It's possible for the time being anyway. They may, may go with that rotation for a while. I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen the lineups yet for Montreal, but my, if I had to guess, I'd say Christian Dvorak plays this game and then Dylan Strom's back in to face his brother when they take on the Islanders in New York, and we may see that rotation for a little while as they evaluate both these guys. At some point... You wonder, are they getting enough ice time to benefit? But again, you have that whole development thing going on on the side. They're still practicing against these guys. Maybe it is enough. Maybe that whole narrative has changed. And, you know, maybe they, as long as they're mentally strong enough to handle that, and maybe it helps to have Max Domi in the room who was sent down twice when both times he looked like he was pretty close to ready to play in this league. And what he did with those two times he was sent back to London was become infinitely better now that you look back. Maybe they look at him and, and, and they, he's right on the other side of the locker room and they can realize, hey, we're in the NHL. We're just not going to play every night. And oh, by the way, Dylan Strom's 19. He's not behind schedule. It's important to remember, yeah. There's, there's still a little time. I wrote about this with franchise centers. And, you know, maybe Dylan Strom's not even a franchise center. Maybe he ends up being a number two guy, which you still need in your lineup. But you usually know pretty soon. I'm, I'm not sure it's 19, but... Within the next couple of years, they're going to know whether Dylan Strom's that guy or not, in yeah. my opinion. For the most part, that's what happens with guys who assume those positions on a team. And, I, I you know, he played, I thought, pretty well uh, in the loss to Ottawa. He, 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 much like Dvorak and Chikrin, picks up an assist in, in the first period on a play where he was a, a key part of it. I thought well, he played about 14 and a half minutes. I thought he played pretty well. It's, it's not I, – I understand that the fans are going to look at it and they're going to say, if he doesn't play tomorrow night, why isn't he playing? He just – he played pretty well against Ottawa. As long as the players – as long as those specific players get it and they realize it's, it's, yeah. there's a bigger picture they're working towards, I think the Coyotes are going to be in good shape. But they've got some juggling to do here early this season. Yeah, Dave Tippett will tell you their, their area. I mean, it's, when you talk about young players, it's always the same things that will say, you know, his, his game without the puck, all those details. He needs to work on that. But the, the thing with Dylan Strom last night, and it's his first game, so you just can't form major judgments – when he's in the lineup, he needs to generate consistent offense. That's why he's here. And I, I, I thought there were stretches of the game where he did that, and there were stretches of the game where he did not do that. Yeah. So he's got to become more consistent in that area because that's what they need from him. Yeah, that's the thing. There is, there's always going to be that emphasis on what are you doing away from the puck. But certain players, and I think Dylan Strom is one of them, you drafted to score goals and to produce offense. So if he is not as good on the defensive side of the ice as, say, Jordan Martinook or a forward like that, but he's producing the offense that you ultimately expect him to produce. Well, that's why you got him. You got him to score. You've got those other guys to play a little more defense. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. That's not just playing out with the Coyotes, but they there's a lot of teams with a lot of rookies right now. I mean, I keep going back to Winnipeg and Toronto. They have a ton of rookies in the lineup tonight when they play each other as well. So interesting to see how these coaches juggle these guys. Yeah, when is the cap going to start going up by you know larger chunks in offseason so that the, this isn't an issue? Because it could all change, right? If the finances of the league change, you could see bigger jumps in the cap and maybe you don't have as many young players in. Or maybe after evaluating, they say, you know, this is this is fine. We, we can go with youth movement. It, it gives us a little more flexibility. 
with the cap and those top-end players that we need to sign, maybe we keep on with this trend. It's also a more exciting brand of hockey. And ultimately, these players are all going to have to be resigned down the line, too. <laughs> yeah, so good luck with that. Uh, in terms of contracts, speaking of, mm-hmm. no more general manager, Craig. Yeah, that's a blow. And, you know, on the, after, after the untimely demise of Matthew West and uh, Cap that was a tragic situation, obviously. Um, and RIP, uh, yeah, again, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say about that because that was just an awful situation that rocked the hockey world. But now we lose General Fanager, which has been a great tool. <laughs> he, he gets hired by another club. How, how often is this going to happen, by the way? Maybe we're in the wrong line of business here. I keep thinking about this. Maybe I should be doing some analytics site. Other than the fact that I have no acumen for it. Yeah, I, mean, I think you have to I be good at it to actually it. to get a job out of it. No. You know, like this podcast is going to get us front office jobs with a team? Yeah, but at, at any rate, congratulations to Tom Baraska for, for getting hired by the uh, the Las Vegas something, something Knights. Knights. Yes. I really so, wish they'd go by the Something Knights. That's coming next month? That's what we've heard? I don't know. Okay. Congratulations to him. But if you're looking for a place to go... I, I, my place right now is cap friendly. Got, they do a fantastic job. And, and Dominic Zrim, it, is it Zrim? Zrim, Jamie? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Zrim? Jamie's still scratching really on the glass. Say. Z and an R in close proximity. How many hockey games have you watched? That shouldn't be that hard to say. That's true. Zemgis Gergensen's plays in the league. But Z and R. Uh, well, that, okay. Make that sound. Zri. Zrim. Okay. Zrim. That At any rate, that's, right. that's where I would point people now. He does a fantastic job. I know how much research he does before he puts out any sort of information on contracts. There, there are things that I don't even think about that he's researching before he puts information on Twitter. does a fantastic job. If you're looking for a place to go, you might want to go there before Dominique also gets hired by an NHL club, and then we have to find something else. <laughs> it's true. If the league expands again, we're going to lose cap-friendly as well. We tried to get Dominique on the show this week, but he, he, has, a, he has another job, unfortunately. That, you know, he was, always he was, he was traveling today. Yeah, he put it that, just that way that it got in the way of doing what he wants to do. That's why the three of us stay gainfully unemployed so that we can do this podcast on a consistent basis. creates incredible flexibility. That's right. All right. Uh, how about some of the, the surprises around this league early on? Uh, I will start us off. This isn't a surprise. Well, no. I, you know what? I will start us off with an actual surprise. Craig, I know you love talking about the Vancouver Canucks and their ability to go to overtime, as they did a lot last year, and they lost all those games last year. <laughs> They're winning them this year. They're 3-0 and this year. They haven't led in a game yet. This defies the laws of gravity or something. This is like a ripple in the matrix. Apparently, they have an early season overtime formula, though. <laughs> because it's repeating itself for the second year, and now they figured out they've tweaked something in the formula so that they can actually win the games now. Interesting, even when they're you know not leading, you know not winning these games in regulation. I I don't, I don't see this lasting. I mean, we we all know how we feel about the Vancouver Canucks. I think we've said it enough on this show that they're directionless. They're not even aware of the fact that they should be rebuilding right now. I believe you just called them aimless, basically. They, Can I just say, I wrote something about the six teams that didn't make the playoffs last year in the West and, and kind of what direction they're heading. And I didn't think I was harsh to Vancouver at all, and I got feedback that I'm just one of those so-called experts, which I don't think I am, that everybody's hating on the Canucks heading into the season. Uh, Eisner can't defend himself. He said worse things about Vancouver than I've ever written about the Canucks, and he gets away with it. Is oh, it just because he's surly? Oh, the off-mic remarks. That should be a separate podcast with Jamie Eisner. I love it when he's not in here to defend himself, but we can still see his facial expressions, so we know if we landed a good shot. Um, the Canucks are not making the playoffs, correct? I don't think so. They, they've given up five goals, by the way, which oh. is... So they have the good goaltending this year. Yes. In fact, uh, 
fantastic goaltending right now, but that's not going to last either. I, I, you can't you can't play the style they're playing. They're, they they just don't have the talent. Let's let's just lay it out there. They don't have the talent to be a playoff team. This is a mirage. They're going to collapse. But yes, they're a surprise right now. Look at the Vancouver Canucks. They're three and zero. I've never seen a team in any sport perplex Craig Morgan more than the Vancouver Canucks. Not only this year through three games, but last year when they were losing every single night, but they were losing in overtime in the shootout. And you would just you had all these different conflicting emotions on your face at once, and then you would just throw up your arms and storm out of the room. I. I I don't think they're a well-run franchise. I, I, I don't think much of their coaching. Uh, I don't think much about anything that they're doing right now, but they're winning. They're winning every game. So I have game. to give it up for them. And, and, you know, down the road, I'll be able to look back on this and say, hey, hey, Vancouver, remember that first week of the regular season? Yeah, you're that just, was great. You're right? setting yourself up right great. now to be able to, to trash them later. Uh, St. Louis, I don't think, is a, is a surprise, but we spent a, a decent amount of the offseason trying to figure out who drops out of the top eight in the West. And I don't know. I don't remember where you guys came out on this. Oh, it wasn't me. It was, uh, it was the guy behind the glass. Okay. Well, the sad dog behind the glass. <laughs> and look, it's, it's no longer raining, at least. It's drying off. Is it cold? Still early. Need a towel. Should we put some food outside the door? <laughs> Just in a tiny little dish for Jamie? Uh, I know what I'm getting him for Christmas now. It's definitely going to be a dog food dish with Jamie Eisner written on the side <laughs> and the Bruins logo. St. Louis is, is 3-0-1 right now. I think we all thought they might take a step back, or at least they, they were the most... They were in contention for one of the teams in the West that had the, the best opportunity to do it because they lost their captain. They lost Brian Elliott, who then apparently Troy lost Brower. his ability to play goal. Yeah, they lost Troy Brower. And the Kevin Shattenkirk situation is still up in the air, and yet they're 3-0-1, and they look pretty good so far. They look fantastic right now. They look faster than they've ever looked. And, you know, I, I made... Those references, I didn't think they'd fall out of the playoffs. That was, again, that was all Jamie Eisner. Yeah, I don't so. think anybody in this I didn't room think they'd fall out of the playoffs, but I also said some of this before they picked up Nail Yakupov, who yeah, I don't think he's going to be a savior by any means, but he, he obviously had speed and skill. He was a number one overall pick at one point. Not that long ago, by yeah, the way. Not four that years long ago. ago. Edmonton seems to trade him every couple of years. Or, well, actually, they trade two a year now. That's, yeah. that's the pace they're on. <laughs> at least they got a lot back for both of them. Yeah. But but Yakubov is another guy who could add to their speed, add to their skill. This, this is sort of what St. Louis was missing in all those matchups they lost in the Central Division playoffs in the past, particularly to the Blackhawks, of course. They don't lack that anymore, and they really do look fast. They're getting pretty good goaltending. Again, I think with St. Louis, I, I really believe this, that it's system goaltending. I, yeah. I think whoever's back there is benefiting from this team, and they have, at the moment, just an absolute embarrassment of riches on the right side of that blue line. With Colton Pareko, your your third pairing right defenseman right now, which is ridiculous. They got to move Kevin Shattenkirk at some point. His rapid development did so much to help this team because all of a sudden they had another weapon back there. Whereas most teams don't even have one; they essentially have two or three, depending on how you want to look at it. The two names I think we should talk about with St. Louis. One, just very quickly, Vladimir Tarasenko obviously is is great. I, I think. How far away are we from him winning the Rocket Richard? I mean, would it would it shock you if he did it this year? No, the only problem with that is, is Connor Michigan. McDavid. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> but I mean, do you think McDavid's going to score more yeah, than? I, don't know. I, I think he can. He's getting to the point where he can do whatever he wants. That's true. <laughs> He'll be running that team shortly. Uh, the other one, though, that I think a lot of people did overlook, and I think we talked about this on on the show. Robbie Fabry looked amazing in the playoffs last year. He hasn't he hasn't done a whole lot yet, stats wise. He has two assists, but when you factor in losing a guy like Troy Brewer you're getting Robbie Fabry a year older and more experienced. And so I think you can offset that pretty well, actually. I think he's one of the more dynamic young players that, that kind of gets overlooked in this league. And, and you're right. You had Neil you know, Yakupov, who was number one pick four years ago. It's not like he's in his late 30s. He's in his early 20s. 
When we were uh, making those predictions about St. Louis, and, and I took flack for this for some reason, even though, again, it was Jamie Eisner who said they That's what happens class. on this show. Have I mentioned that? Yeah, you've, okay. you've, you've, you've directed a little bit of the hate sure. towards Eisner. He can handle it. My biggest question with them, aside from the, you know, you, you lose a guy like Backus, that, that matters in the locker room. I don't want to overplay it. A, a lot of guys are good locker room guys, and maybe the Blues evaluated what they had in the locker room and said, yay, we're, we're going to be okay without David Backus. But I wondered what their center position would look like. I, I always wonder about the center position. <laughs> that sounds like something you would do. We talk about this from time to time. But Alex Steen and Paul Stasny right now as a one-two combo, they're playing very well. And if you're getting that, they can compete. They can compete with anyone. Those two guys, are they're, they're looking right now like a really good number one-two combo. This is the perfect example of a team for me that will just help out my John Tavares argument that will rage forever. Oh if, if John Tavares was somehow tomorrow we go. traded to the St. Louis Blues, would you say that they have the center that, that they could win a cup with? Well, I, I, I've been starting to think that St. Louis could win a cup anyway. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. You but think St. Louis can win the cup well, this we're, year? we're three games into the season. I just, that goes back to my... I don't want to make grand pronouncements yet. But, I mean, <laughs> you've made like nine. We basically contracted Anaheim right out of the league to like some roller hockey international tournament. All right, yes. Oh, Yes. St. Louis is going to Based win on what I've seen. Okay, I'll, I'll qualify it oh, that here way. here we go. Based on what I have seen so far. Is that, is that like when, when, when people say, I haven't actually seen them play, but from what I've heard. Yes. They sound like a <laughs> oh, great team. I always love that kind of reporting. Yeah, that happens. That tends to happen in this league a little more than maybe it should. Yeah, but those, again, I have seen St. Louis play. I actually watched them twice already this season, including the demolition of the Blackhawks in the season opener. They look fantastic right now. Uh, Jake Allen has also played very well so far. One point nine eight goals against average. Goalie? He's uh, well, maybe, but I mean, he was he was Ryan effective Elliott. the last couple of years too. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, then they they felt like he could they could plug him yeah. right in. They wouldn't miss Brian Elliott and so now Calgary's thinking, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Calgary might not miss Brian Elliott when Chad Johnson's starting either. If he doesn't wake up now, to be fair to Brian Elliott, his two starts came against the Oilers, and the Oilers looked great in those first two games. So we'll see. I don't think Calgary went out and traded for Brian Elliott to make him the backup to Chad Johnson, but that's what it looks like right now. So we'll see. Uh, St. Louis has been impressive early on. Anybody else stood out to you in a good way in these these first couple? Oh, Jamie's in here. Jamie's got Uh-oh, something to say. This is about Peter Chiarelli. I, I see. I had to do a run in here. Okay. Are you because, yourself? No. Okay. But I just want everyone to think about what Luke Lipinski just said. Oh no, I don't like this. To be fair to Brian Elliott, his first two starts came against the <laughs> Oilers as a reason to excuse poor play. I just want everyone to realize what era we're entering now. That's fair. That is all. I kind of like this. This is a new game. Let's see if, let's see which one of us can say something so inflammatory that Jamie has to it stop running 17 websites <laughs> and he has to run in here. These doors have locks, you know. I'm, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, but it, that would be hilarious if you locked it <laughs> and he didn't know and he came running right into a locked door. I'll sit here and talk about Peter Chiarelli being a genius all day just to see what happens. <laughs> well, we've, we've already thrown out Vancouver, Edmonton, and St. Louis, so I, I guess that covers it for the Western Conference in terms of pleasant surprises. And in the East, not not really. How about the fact that everybody in the Atlantic except Detroit has a winning record right now? That's that's a little strange. It's the beauty of overtime losses, isn't it? It really is. Uh, Inflated standings. What do you make of Ottawa right now? Because that is not look. My teams from the Atlantic, I thought we're going to make the playoffs, and again, I was I was locked out of the studio last week, so I couldn't give my predictions. Tampa Bay, Florida, and Montreal, I think, are playoff teams out of the Atlantic. 
Ottawa, though, is scoring a lot of goals. They were the they were the team that looked horrendous. And that third Austin Matthews goal we haven't even talked about, he just parked himself in front of the net, and there was nobody around him for like what felt like 30 seconds. And yet Ottawa still won that game. They scored seven, seven against the Coyotes last night. Right. Which, by the way, Eric Carlson got burned against the Coyotes last night as well. Every time Eric Carlson gets burned, I just think of Craig Morgan. Well, yeah. But everybody glosses over that. They glosses do. over just the horrific mistakes he makes in his own end because he's generating offense. He is. He does. He does it like nobody else. But it's got nice. Hair, I still too. maintain to win a Norris Trophy, you should be competent in your own end, and I don't think he is. I really don't think he is. I think he's a subpar defender. Wow. Shots I've said fired. it a thousand times, and yeah, the Coyotes game, and, and this is last game. Both two two more examples of what. But let's not get on that train. I, no, I, we, we can do that later in the year when he's apparently I've made enough grand pronouncements for the day. <laughs> well, Ottawa. I mean, Ottawa's played four games too. They have seventeen goals, and seven of them came last night against the Coyotes. I. This is the kind of team where when the, the league tightens up, as it eventually will, you know, maybe two months into the season, I think they'll struggle because they're not going to win those types of games. In a wide-open game, maybe they have more of a chance, but I, I don't see them winning those types of games when, when uh, things get uh, a little tighter where you're winning 3-2, 2-1 games. Uh, in terms of guys that have missed time already, we, we mm-hmm. touched on Jonathan Quick. Who got Tons hurt in the of opener. them. But uh, big-name guys that have big missed names. time. Sidney Crosby obviously hasn't played yet. It seems like he might be getting closer, but a couple of years ago, it seemed like he was getting closer for a year and a half. And that was a different injury, and they misdiagnosed half of it. So that's we're in a different era. Hopefully, Crosby will be back soon. Jack Eichel is out for a while with that pretty nasty-looking injury he suffered a week ago today. So it wasn't even in a game. It was just in a morning skate for the Sabres. And then in Montreal, Carey Price hasn't played yet as we record this. I'm assuming he'll come back in time to play the Coyotes because... It's kind of a running joke that most players circle their game against the Coyotes as their target date to return from injury or illness, and it always seems to happen. But Al Montoya has been lights out and net for Montreal. <laughs> yeah. You want to make a grand pronouncement, this is where you can call Carey Price a system goalie and get hate mail from Montreal. No. Yeah. Not going to happen. I can't go that far. No, okay. I just can't go that far. But, I mean, Al Montoya... I can do it with Brian Elliott, though. <laughs> yeah. This is where I can say Brian Elliott. I can't, can't help but wonder if he's the NHL equivalent, equivalent of Tom Brady. System system quarterback in New England. Uh, I think he might be the NHL equivalent of Matt Castle, the way he looks so far, where he looked really good in St. Louis and hasn't looked good just in Calgary. doesn't carry as much weight, though, does it? Well, no. I'm but, calling Tom Brady a system quarterback. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, you're accusing me of grand pronouncements, so I might that as well is, just stick with that. I'm that staying in character good. here. Okay. I like this new Craig Morgan for the 2016-17 season. I start shouting? If you could start shout directly into the mic, yeah, because Jamie's wearing headphones and I'm not, so it wouldn't really affect me. But you mentioned injuries. It's not just those guys. Matt Murray on, on your beloved Penguins. Love the World Cup. We mentioned Jonathan Quick, Marion Gabarik, Jonathan Huberdeau, Evander Kane, Patrice Bergeron missed time. Jamie McGinn is still out of the Coyotes lineup. There's a ton of significant players missing time, which is not good from a marketing standpoint for the league. But at least it's early in the season, right? Yeah, and you know, I know everybody goes through this every year in the NFL. By week four, they're like, oh, this is the most injuries we've ever had. And then some genius goes through and pulls out all the stats from previous years, and it's the same every year. (laughs) Uh, But that's not normally the case in the NHL. You don't usually have this many marquee names missing games. I know there's a range there from Sidney Crosby to Jamie McGinn. But Jonathan Quick, Carey Price, Sidney Crosby, Jack Eichel. You're talking about guys that in a lot of ways are either faces of franchises or, in some of these cases, potentially fran- faces of the entire league. Jack Eichel's not the face of the NHL, but he's one of the, the, the young players on the short list as maybe the next wave of faces of the NHL. Carey Price, two seasons ago, won every award. Sidney Crosby wins every award every other year. 
So those are big names they have out of the lineup. And Jonathan Quick, the more we look at it, I think won the LA Kings two Stanley Cups. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, again, they were a great possession team in those they seasons. Were. But maybe he had something to do with that because they had so much faith in him. You never know how those things work together. It's really tough to quantify that sort of stuff. But Sidney Crosby, I, are you concerned? I guess I should ask you this as a Penguins fan. When you're talking about multiple, multiple concussions, it's just it's a scary thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned anytime a player has had multiple concussions. Um, because you become more susceptible. The, you know, when you have multiple concussions, you're more susceptible. That's what medical science tells us right now about them. So when, when you're talking at least three known concussions right now for Sidney Crosby, right? Yeah. That's scary. You don't want a player like that. No, you don't. And, and, I mean, Chris Letang is... We, we got to the point when Crosby first came back from his last injury, and again, he missed over a year with that last one, and, and there, was, there was weird circumstances around that where they, they didn't diagnose it properly. But it got to the point where he, he came back, and I didn't want to see him go into the corners. And it's not a Penguins thing. If this was well, – I don't, I don't know that you could hurt Alex Ovechkin, but pick some other star <laughs> player in this league. I don't want to throw out a specific name because I don't want that guy to get hurt tonight and everybody to be like, see, look what happened. So just – any other player in this league on any other team, if they were in the same situation, it would, it would sort of be the same thing. It was like when Wes Welker was playing football. I, was, I didn't want to see him go across the middle, and I don't care about the Patriots or the Broncos. I just didn't want to see him go across the middle. We're not at that point with Crosby, but it's, it's concerning from a Pittsburgh perspective because they're not nearly as good without him, and I think that's, well, and that's pretty obvious. Sitting, right? yeah. you, can't, you can't remove a player like that from the lineup and expect to be a contender still. You're talking about a Hall of Fame player, without a doubt. First ballot Hall of Famer. They have ballots in hockey. I don't know, but if, if he was in baseball, a couple people wouldn't vote him in because he's not quite as good as Babe Ruth. Right, they'd, they'd find some way to... Yeah. But that's baseball writers, too, that right? is, That's true. Baseball writers are a special breed. When's the last time you were in a baseball press box? Side note here. Uh, for a baseball game? Yeah. Because I, I was at Chase Field for the uh, Cactus Bowl last no. year. No. <laughs> Clearly, I was asking about a baseball game. Baseball Not whatever that press was. Box for a baseball game. Wow. I, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I've done everything I can to avoid that you, situation. You do actively so, okay. try to avoid yes. that. Baseball, it's not all of them, but generally speaking, baseball writers are the only when, – when you, when you go to cover the four major sports, and I've covered, I think all of us have covered all four major sports. You go to a hockey game, everybody's like, hey, it's hockey, this is great. And you go to football, and it's a big deal because there's only 16 of those a year. And you go to basketball, and it's generally really – Hardcore basketball people. You go to baseball, and it's second inning. They're like, we're on pace for a three-and-a-half-hour game. I just want to go home. It doesn't matter, even if it's an hour-and-a-half game. And, if, and this, is a, this is a thing that I, I – it's one of those things where I think everybody knows it, but then I realize it's just people in a press box. And, Craig, you can back me up on this. If you are sitting at a baseball game and you're like, hey, we're going to get out of here early tonight, oh. they will attack you physically. Yeah, they, they probably will. They'll probably put out a hit on you. Yes. In fact, one of my former colleagues – Ed Price, while I was at the East Valley Tribune, uh, I made the mistake of saying that during the World Series against the Yankees, no less, hey, this game's going quickly. We were on Messenger, all of us. And his response to everyone was, kill him. It's the World Series. Like, what, what is that? Every other sport, the people want to be there. And in baseball, and this is not a knock on baseball. I think it's just because there's 162 games. They just want to go home. They purport to love the game. But, yeah, you hear that every game. They're surly up and, there. And by the way, can we... Yes, bitter Cub fans speaking here. I'll preface this. So, and, and my team would be guilty of it too if they didn't have their history dragging them down. Yes, the team with the what two hundred eighty-seven million dollar, two hundred ninety-seven million dollar payroll. The LA Dodgers right now looking like the team that will escape the National League, maybe win the World Series. This is the problem with baseball. Well, yeah, 
We, we've gone slightly off topic here. You have a team that has here. four times the payroll of some other teams. It's just ridiculous. I know a lot of people have harped on this, but level the playing field. Get a salary cap. It's just ridiculous. Your championships are diminished when one team has so much better odds of winning the title than another. I so wanna... if the Cubs lose, which they, I think they're going to, to be honest. <laughs> By the time people hear this, they and could be in the World fifth, Series. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I'm, I'm laying it out there. This is prediction time. Oh, okay, here we go. Another I think they're fifth time. in payroll. So like I said, they'd be guilty of it too if, if not for that. 108-year history. I want to isolate this cut when the Cubs win the World Series in three weeks. I'll be rooting for Cleveland if it's Cleveland and the Dodgers. Because Cleveland has a low payroll. Those things don't happen. And people say, see, that's proof that low payroll teams can win. Yeah, they can come along every once in a while, and then they have to sell off all their players. Yeah. And the rich teams remain in contention year after year after year. And that's a problem with baseball. It's unfair. Bringing it back to the sport that we do this podcast about. Oh, yeah. The, the NHL, I think it's one of the things they do very well, is have that cap. And you see a team like the Blackhawks and other teams have to scramble, and there is a certain skill there that the Blackhawks have managed to master for the most part of being able to stay under the cap while continuously winning. It does level the playing field. It's the way it should be. Any, uh, any other topics you want to hit here? I want to hit on the RFAs that are still unsigned. As, as long as you mention the Blackhawks, however, oh, Marion okay. Hosa scored his 500th NHL goal last year. He did. I wanted to... Is Marion Hossa a Hall of Famer in your mind? I think he, I think he probably is. He's right? 60th all time in points right now, uh, much lower, 123rd in points per game all time in this league. But we also know what kind of defense Marion Hossa plays. Uh, in my opinion, this guy should be a Selkie Trophy nominee. But he plays wings, Play so wing. wings don't get nominated. He's a terrific defensive player, such a responsible player. He's physical. He's impossible to knock off the puck. And by the way, he's won three cups now. I think this guy's a Hall of Famer. I, 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 there's no debate in my mind. I'm just curious how others feel, but because you know maybe I'm a little bit biased because he's a Blackhawk. He's an oddly polarizing player, and that there are certainly there are people out there that just hate Marion Hosa, which is sort of strange. I mean, I understand that there would be Penguins fans that don't like him because he played in Pittsburgh and then left after they tried everything they could to keep him, and basically said this team's never going to win a cup, and that's why he left. And then they won the next year against him, so there was some justice there. But in general, he's hit the 500 goal plateau now. You're right. He plays defense, and he has won cups. And maybe his points per game isn't as high. But when you have all those points, I think that goes out the window because then you're coupling points with longevity. Yeah. I, I just I know he's going to be sort of a fringe guy. I don't know how much longer he's going to play. And the internet is failing me in terms of trying to figure out I think where he's 37. But uh, well, just just in terms of where he ranks on the all-time goals list, I know 560 with Guy Lafleur will get you 25th. But that's all the internet can offer me. It's just the top 25 NHL goal scorers in history. Either way, though, he's hit that plateau, and people can say what they want, but there is a bigger difference in Hall of Fame voters' minds between 495 goals and 505. He's 43rd right now, by the way. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's, that says something. Yeah. I, you know, the, the other side of this, and this probably doesn't play to your Hall of Fame credentials, but it speaks to who he is. When you hear Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane talk about this guy, and it was this way for like the first five years they were there, they, don't, they talk about it almost like he's a god in the locker room. The, the way, the reverence that, that they use when they speak about this guy just tells me how much respect he commands, too. He's such a professional in every, every way. I, I, to me, he's a Hall of Fame player. I'm going to get you a Hosa jersey for Christmas when I get Jamie his dog food dish. You know what's not Hall of Fame, however, Luke? The Blackhawks penalty-killing unit. Yes. I'm going to indulge you here because when you gave me the stat, that's actually pretty Six horrendous. for 13. 
The Blackhawks PK has come up successful six out of 13 times. They gave up two more last night. Jamie's back. Oh, you, are you, did that draw you in, of all things? I'm back to the interesting question. How, for this era of Hall of Famers, since we're talking about Hosa, how do you factor in the year and a half of missed time due to lockouts? Because if you had another year and a half worth of Hosa stats on there, it's a much easier argument to make. In prime time, too, at the prime of his career, right? Yeah. Well, he's had a long prime, actually, but... I hate it when Jamie comes in with intelligent questions and shows us up. Doesn't happen often. <laughs> but Yeah, but when you, when you don't say anything for, like, 30 minutes, you can really put it all together for one really genius question. It's, it's going to affect a lot of players in this era. And Hose is probably the poster boy for it because he he's that fringe player that there are going to be people when he comes up for Hall of Fame election, there are going to be people that are like, no way, this is ridiculous. Look, at, they're going to point to his points per game. They're going to point to the fact that he doesn't speak, so they're going to use that as negative, that he doesn't have a personality or whatever. They're going to find some reason. And then other people are going to be in the Craig Morgan corner wearing all of his different jerseys that he's had throughout his career, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Atlanta, Ottawa, Chicago on top, of course. And they're going to say, look at his stats and look at what he's accomplished in this league. Here's what might help him in this regard, too, the, the advent of analytics. When you look at Marion Hosa's history through that lens, he'll, he'll look, be looked on more favorably. Now, I don't know if all voters will look through that lens. I hope they will. I hope they'll consider it because it's more information to consider. But when you look at that and understand the complete player that he is, I don't see how you make an argument that he's not. And how'd you get back here, by the way? We were talking about the putrid penalty killing you into the Blackhawks, and you took it back to Mary. Oh, you Eisner took, it back, took it back. Don't turn this on me. Jamie he came, came running in. in. I forgot he came in. Uh, if what did he, he say again? He, <laughs> I don't remember. This is so long ago. Uh, in terms of the Blackhawks' penalty kill, yes, those are horrendous numbers. I will, I will remind you, it's a small sample size. And in those four games, size, yes. it's, not that, it's not like they played Columbus. In fact, they play Columbus on Friday. That's their next game. They played Nashville twice, who I think is going to be one of the higher-scoring teams in the NHL this year. And they played St. Louis in the opener. It's concerning. But, and Philadelphia last night. The yeah, Flyers also scored two power play goals. I was, I was going to leave the Flyers out of the equation for a well, second. But they did score two power play they goals. Did. and That doesn't it, help my I, argument, I this, though. I had this stat in my uh, Sunday column. And again, we're talking small sample sizes, but... It's interesting to me that in the Blackhawks' cup-winning years, they won the cup in 2010, 2013, 2015. Mm, thanks for pointing that out. Three times, yeah. How many of the Penguins won in the Sydney Crosby? Okay. Well, they've They're, won two. Yeah, you should attack what any any team that isn't Pittsburgh or L.A. if you're going to do this as a Chicago fan. Okay. So find one of the other 27 teams. At any rate, in their three cup-winning years, their PK ranked fourth, third, and tenth in the, in the NHL, respectively, in those seasons. So top ten PK in those years. The non-cup years were a different story. In 2011, 25th. 2012, 27th. Uh, 2014, 19th. And 2016, 22nd. So maybe that's a barometer for, you know, it, I think it is a barometer. Uh, a lot of coaches believe it's a barometer of how well you defend. And that ir- clearly leads to winning cups. You have to be a good defensive team in order to win cups. Right now, the Blackhawks are dead last in penalty killing in the NHL. So it's going to have ratio. to improve dramatically. I'm going to make a second bold prediction. This okay. Put this up there with Anaheim. This is your second Anaheim. against my what, You've 14 like 38, now? Okay. Yeah. You've made them about other sports. Um, this is right up there with either Anaheim or L.A. will miss the, the playoffs this year. If Chicago, at the end of the season, is still killing less than 50% of the penalties they take, they're not winning the Cup this year. And I have the, I have the Blackhawks coming out of the West. That's bold. And this, but this is from a guy who picked them to win the West. You guys both had them like finishing last in the Central somehow or something, didn't you? 
Because they don't have a great no, like seventh defensive player. We, we had them as playoff teams. Okay, all right. Um, didn't like their forward depth. Didn't think this would happen with the penalty. That's the other side of this PK thing. It's veterans that are playing this for the most part. It's yeah. not guys. It's, you're talking That's about concerning. Nicholas Chalmerson, Marcus Kruger, Marion Hosa, Jonathan Taves, guys who have killed penalties really well in the past. So it's really perplexing to see this happen. I, I have no idea. I'm sure they don't have any idea either. But as a concerned Blackhawks enthusiast, I think I can call you that, right? Do you do you I have take a shirt that says that? Do you take some solace in the fact that they have faced some very good power plays so far in these first four games. Nashville's loaded on the power play. St. Louis has Vladimir Tarasenko and other guys who know how to feed him the puck. And Philadelphia, I never know what to make of the Flyers. One night they look great, the next night they look terrible. They've been doing that for about five years now. No. No, it doesn't make you any no, less it concerned. Make you feel any better? Okay. Hey, how about this? Because as as I've established here in another week, they'll they'll be all I have. The Cubs will be out of the playoffs. The Bears will be true. one and six by then. This is such a, well. That that and, part is true. And the Bulls. I, I. What are the Bulls doing now? They're actually they rebuilding they now. They have sold everything yeah. off, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're rebuilding again. Hey, Jimmy Butler. He's fun. It's a good thing they broke up that championship team before they before had lost. winning a championship. Before they lost, oh, actually, they, yeah. they were the reigning champs when they decided to break them up. But well, you always want to leave on top. Me back on that. Okay. I, I I'm not nearly as worried about the Cubs as you are. But then again, you think they're going to win this series? I don't care about the Cubs. This could be a prediction. Come on, bold prediction from Luke Lipinski. I think they're going to win the World Series. I said that Whoa, in April. Okay, they're down two one. They're not down four one. They've lost. Now, I would be a little nervous if I was a Cubs fan that they suddenly can't hit because this happened last year. They scored one run in the series. One. Yeah. One run. One run. No, no, no. That's not right. They they won the first game eight to four. Never mind. Yeah, Miguel Montero hit a grand slam. How can you only score one run? All right, back to hockey here. Um, In terms of this was a storyline we kind of followed through the offseason. I don't think anything's going to change right now. But Tampa has two goalies. Dallas has two half goalies. Pittsburgh has a goalie and an injured goalie who's better than the original goalie. There, there was talk that, specifically with Dallas, one of these teams would love to move a goalie who's going to need one. If L.A. waits for Jonathan Quick to come back, they might be screwed. Or Is there any chance? If you're, if you're Jim Niller, are you calling L.A. and being like, hey, we got Antti Niemi? I don't know. I mean, how desperate is L.A.? Do you feel like that's going to be any kind of upgrade? Maybe it is over what they're getting right now. But Well, Jeff Zatkoff was, and I don't understand why L.A. did this. He wasn't Pittsburgh's backup goalie. He was, a, I mean, he was essentially their third-string goalie. He was, he was essentially their minor league starter, and that's fine. You need those, but we're seeing it around the league now with, with already a ton of goalie injuries. I heard this commentary this morning, too, and it was from a, a Canadian show, but they were talking about how brilliant, the, how much foresight the Canadians had to bring in Al Montoya. Why didn't the Kings have a backup for Jonathan Quick? Why didn't the Coyotes have a backup for Mike Smith? The Coyotes have a backup for Mike Smith. Louis Domingue had a great year last year. That's why they re-signed him. But anyway, if you're the Kings and you have potential Stanley Cup aspirations, I think they still do. I don't think they're going to pull it off, but they have those aspirations. Do you want to start this year 0-28 or whatever they're going to be if they keep running Jeff Zatkoff and Peter Budai out there? What do, you, what do you have to get? Are, are you first of all? Do you think a guy like Antony Emi could be the guy that gets you back to that? I I, I don't know. Maybe he can. He, he played. He backstopped Chicago to a cup. I think he'd be good enough to keep he LA might afloat. Be, you know, playing in that kind of system, he might be. But what do you have to give up to get him? Probably not much, actually. Yeah, I think you just have to take on his Dallas contract. Probably, yeah, Dallas would be happy just to shed the contract. So I just wonder. And there, mm-hmm. the reason I wouldn't say Ben Bishop is obviously LA is not going to trade for Ben Bishop because Jonathan Quick didn't retire. Yeah. 
So, I don't know. Something to keep an eye on there. We, we talked so much over the summer about how there are a few teams with extra goalies. And at least going into the season, everybody had a starter. But we've already seen some of those starters taken out, either via the World Cup or the opening week of the season. You wanted to mention uh, the RFAs that remain unsigned, too, when, when I interrupted you to stay on the Blackhawks. Rudely I interrupted, I would say. Was it rude? Yeah, it felt rude. I'm sorry. And I don't believe that apology, either. That's, that's true. And you know what? That makes up for everything. It really does. That's it, not sarcasm, either. We're down to two. We're down to two. Aren't we usually down to zero by this point? Well, it would make sense to be down to zero. Because <laughs> the season <laughs> has have started. this Lindholm situation. Well, as Bob McKenzie reported, it, it's, it is actually about... It's about money, shockingly. What? Yes. Hold on. I have to sit down now. So according to Bob McKenzie, Lindholm's camp wants a, a six-year deal at a little more than Ristolainen's average annual value of $5.4 million. The Ducks want to be a little bit below that. The Ducks, who have no cap space, have, so I, I have to look into that cap situation to figure out how they make this happen. I'm trying to do it right now, and I typed in general manager, and there's just oh, a note that said sorry. Still so, not used to that. No. But, cap um, friendly. What's, cap friendly is your friend. It, and cap, cap friendly, I'm looking at it right now, is, is, is pretty solid. The, the issue that Anaheim has, and we'll get to Jacob Truba in a second with Winnipeg. The single issue? Well, <laughs> the issue they have in these specific negotiations are... It's not necessarily a situation where, ah, we just don't want to pay you that much, Hampus. You think they call him Hampus in the uh, contract negotiations? No. Mr. Lindholm? It's the N- NHL, so they probably call, probably call him Hampy or Lindy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Hamster. Hamster. Hamper. That would be good. Yeah. Hamster. But, you know, NHL nicknames are not creative like that. Um, they don't have the money to pay him, so they're going to have to get very creative. Uh, they're going to have to move someone. Well, they are paying Kevin Bieksa $4 million a year, but they can't move him. He has no movement clause. They're going to have to send somebody down. Cam Fowler. I mean, Cam Fowler has looked pretty good early on mm-hmm. this season. Uh, I don't know. They're going to have to do something. I mean, if you move Cam Fowler just to sign Hampus Lindholm, or how much better are you making your mm-hmm. team? I think they'd like to have Vatten and Fowler and Lindholm back there if they could. But it's not just as simple as, you know what, Hampus, we need you to play. Here's your money. They've got to make moves to make this happen. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. You might have to give up a significant piece. It's Maybe you team. get to the point where you're looking at your team and saying, hmm, we might have to uh, think about a youth movement here. When, when does a team like this embrace it? When do they look at a major piece and say, yeah, let's, let's go ahead? Wow, you're talking like, how major are you talking? Are you talking like Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff? I'm talking major. Well, those are the only major pieces they really have. Would be a seismic shift, obviously, if, if one of those players moved elsewhere. But is Anaheim winning the cup? It depends on what the internal belief is. If they still think that their their window is open, do they? If not, why not? Maybe they could put Randy Carlisle on defense since he seems to be the solution to all their problems. Yeah. No. Speaking of defense, that gets us to the other restricted phrase: who has not signed. Nice segue. This one I don't get. <laughs> That's what we missed last week, Jimmy. It was the segues more than anything. You made the segue, not me. You did. You said defense. You were talking about defense. I just, I just, you just capitalized it. off it. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. the assist man. You're the goal scorer. Yeah. You're the finisher. Yeah. Uh, this one I, I don't fully get. At a certain point, don't they need each other? Even though it seems like they hate each other. Maybe they don't, but it seems like they hate each <laughs> it other. It always seems like they hate each other before they sign, it, and then everybody says, "Ah, no hard feelings." Yeah. When he gets back in camp, which is not really true, of course, but. <laughs> a lot of things at play here with Jacob Truba. Well, and camp's over, too. Don't Jacob Truba wants to maximize his potential, according to his agent, Kurt Overhart. We're taking the Jonathan mm-hmm. Drouin route right now. Uh, yeah, well, Coyotes fans are familiar with Kurt Overhart from the Kyle Turris negotiations. He's also his agent. And, and in fact, in that situation, he did manage to 
get his client traded out of town. He signed, of course, a contract beforehand, and then they traded him. And, yeah, he, he haunted him last night. But, yeah, again, we, we don't want to get into the whole Kyle Turris thing. He was a, a problem for other reasons. But you're, they're trying to do it again here, Jacob Chuba, trying to force a trade. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he's just using this as posturing to get the deal that he wants. To me, Winnipeg, they hold all the cards, first of all. You don't have to trade him. If you want to sit, fine. December 1st comes along. You'll be sitting for the entire season. Yeah. And then your value is really hurt because you've missed an entire NHL that's season. That's not maximizing your value. And no, I can't. And you've lost a year of salary. Well, so That's the thing that people never seem to remember, and it drives me crazy when you get to these contract negotiations. And I think Jacob Trubo will be playing on a team before December 1st. But just in general, this isn't necessarily specific to him. But this thought of, well, I need... Whatever. I'm being offered $4.5 million a year, and I need $4.7. I'm willing to sit out a whole year. Well, if you sit out a whole year, then you need like $5.2 million a year to make up, over the, to make up for the money you lost. It's, yes. Or is it just an ego thing? So that, again, well, at some point, it does become that, right? Yeah. When, when you're t- and it's really, it's more between the agent and, and the general manager. It becomes a, you know, a, a peeing war. Yes. <laughs> it really does. Marking their territory. and I'm not giving in on this. I'm going to drive a hard bargain. It, 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 what has surprised me, one of the things that surprised me about this, Kurt Overhart's not a guy who likes to talk a lot in the media, but he's been pretty public about this negotiation, which tells me that he's willing to go yet another step farther to get what he wants out of this. It's, it's a bad situation right now. I've talked to a couple NHL execs about this. A couple points. The, the asking price right now is really high for Jacob Truba, so that, that's creating problem with any potential trade. And of the, course. The asking price from the Jets in terms of a trade, not yes. what he's asking for in terms right. of money. Yeah, I mean, you have to basically, you got to give the Jets the world to, to pry Jacob Trouba loose. And that's, that's probably as it should be. You have a young right-handed defenseman who's a top four guy, probably a top pairing guy. Yeah, you can ask for whatever you want from him. And that's an incredible commodity. I don't think the Jets should move him. He should be a part of their future. You can't lose pieces like that, Dougie Hamilton. You have to <laughs> hang on to guys like that. The other thing that's out there, there there's been this, uh, this thread that uh, if you're going to trade with Winnipeg for Jacob Trubit, they want a left-handed defenseman in return. Not true, I've been told by two different sources. It's pretty fluid right now. There are a lot of teams still in the conversation. So if, if that's the case, if, if they don't have a specific need that maybe 50% of the teams in the league already can't meet or something, you're not wiping out uh, potential suitors, I mean... Jacob Truba, like you said, a 22-year-old, former first-round pick, the same year Yakupov was taken number one overall. Truba was number nine overall. I think to this point in their careers, Truba's been much less of a disappointment than Neil Yakupov, and he's a right-handed defenseman that's 22 years old. Uh, I would think there's about 28 suitors. I mean, the Blues don't need them. That would be absurd if they got them. <laughs> there's the only team. <laughs> yeah, but I would think there's 28 teams knocking on the Jets' door, and so it is a weird situation because they've got the leverage and that he's an RFA, but they're not getting anything out of him right now, so they don't have all the leverage. If if they could get a bidding war between a few of these teams and get something pretty good for him, I actually probably would trade him. They were talking about trading him in May. Yeah, but what, I guess when do you reach that point? Do you if, if you get to December 1st and he's not eligible to play anymore, that's a problem for you as well in terms of trading, although there are probably still a lot of teams that would say, okay, we'll, we'll wait on him a year, that's cool. Yeah, but you're getting less then. Yeah. And, and does Jacob Truba, does he really consider, if he has to sit out, does he go play somewhere else? Does he go play in Europe to stay fresh? Probably makes sense, but he also risks injury when he's trying to cash in. There's there's all that stuff to worry about. I don't know how this plays out because I, 
from 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 an external perspective right now, it really looks like the Jets have dug in their heels and they're, they're just content to, to let them sit. Maybe that changes as we get closer to that date and the urgency. You know, there, there's going to be more pressure on Sheldon Dial to, to get something done here yeah. as we get closer to the date, especially if the Jets are struggling. Yeah, and, and he's shown... Chevaldeoff has shown patience in the past. Where in a situation like this, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I think we're going to break our pattern. I don't think we're going to post this podcast today and then tonight. Jacob Truba is going to get traded, <laughs> even though that seems to be what happens when we talk about a major topic on this show. But if I'm the Jets, uh, I'm not waiting till November 30th to be like, okay, let's see what's out there on the trade market. I'm probably, I'm at least listening to everything pretty closely right now, so I at least have a list and I can build it going into November of, of these four teams yeah. are willing to give me this or this, and what do we need? And kind of evaluate your team even through November. Do we need another defenseman for Truba? Are we fine getting three really good prospects from a team? There are teams that can afford to give up a bunch of prospects because they have an embarrassment of riches in, in the prospect pool, and they could use a defenseman like Truba. Or do you want a forward? I mean, you can evaluate what you need, but everybody loses here. If we get past December first, he's not playing in the NHL. Yeah, and what you're talking about is just due diligence. Any GM is going to do that in this situation. You have to know what all your options are ahead of time, so you don't get you know, surprised by anything, and you, you can evaluate all those options as you're going into this. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I can't see it going past December first. He's he's too good a player. You, you either you either have to swing that trade and get maximum value, or you resign him. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Anything else before we wrap up here? Any 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 just a, negative surprises? But one more thing on that true but oh, okay. you look at their right side too. They've got an interesting situation as well with Myers and Bufflin. What do you do? Do you need to move another player at that point and then sign him? I don't know. I don't know what you do. But then you're moving a guy that that probably wants to be there for a guy that you're not sure wants to be there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these are all these are all little factors that you have to work into the equation, but you don't know for sure. It's not like Jacob Truba hates the city of Winnipeg. But it doesn't seem like he necessarily wants to be there. So that's a bit of a tiebreaker when you're deciding do we keep him or Tyler Myers, who seems pretty happy here, although you're paying Tyler Myers $5.5 million a year. He's a few years older. He doesn't have the offensive upside as Jacob Truba. But at a certain point, if you're the Jets, you have to look around and say, we have to give a little bit, not so much in the negotiations with him because he's an RFA, but just in terms of you can't just at the start of the year be like, okay, well, we wish we were paying him this much and him this much, and we wish we had these three guys. The situation is you don't have Jacob Truba, and that was your first-round pick four years ago, and you could use either him or the equivalent of whatever you can get from him from another team. And I think because defensemen are on such a high-priority and high-demand list around this league, you could get a forward of equal value for him, I would think. It's going to have to come to the point where Kurt Overhart comes out and just says, Jacob Truba's not playing for the Winnipeg Jets anymore. It seems like he's close to saying that. Maybe we'll get there in, in November. If he'll just say, yeah, he's not coming back. That won't happen ever again. So he'll either go play in Europe for the rest of this year and the remainder of his time as, as property of the Winnipeg Jets, or he'll get traded. So at that Ugly. point, if you hear that, and if you, if you believe that, I mean, if, he, if we get past December 1st and he is playing somewhere else, at that point, if you're Winnipeg, you got to get something for that asset. When can the player step in? Either I always wonder that. You know, I wonder that in the Tobias Reader situation too. Yeah, but Reader signed ultimately before he, the season even started. He did, but where you know you, you you hear what the agent is saying, and you understand why the agent is saying what they're saying. They're they're doing their job. They're trying to drive the best bargain they can. Yeah. But does it create animosity? 
maybe, maybe it doesn't because you're staying in contact with the player. I, I don't know what the Winnipeg situation is on that front. I know Dave Tippett obviously stayed in touch with Tobias Reeder. They were both at the World Cup of Hockey, and they had dinner in Montreal one yeah. night. So they maintained a good relationship. But you always wonder, at some point, does the player step in and say, you know what, you still work for me, so this this is what I've decided, so this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, if this goes south, the agent has other clients. Jacob Truba is playing in the Czech Republic next year and potentially beyond. I mean, if he doesn't get signed somewhere and, you know, the Jets need... They, you need the Chinese KHL team. <laughs> Yes. You know what? I think that's where we're going to end this podcast, on the Chinese KHL team. In fact, I think we should, we should try and end every podcast there. Okay. We should just try and get to that point at the end of every Chinese podcast. Chinese KHL team. So I, for a while, I thought the name of this was going to be Luke Lipinski and Middle East Harmony. Well, that's the name of the band. Okay. And, and I do like the new mics we have. Just, just to throw that out there once again, throw us your suggestions for the name of this band. We want to know you're listening. I just want to hear the, the, uh, the suggestions for... Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan forming a backup singing duet. That's that in itself. Yeah, well, it's magic. I, actually, I, we, it's magic. I have heard you sing, and so have the listeners <laughs> last year. That's true. So, that was my baritone, though. Well, I didn't. You haven't heard my falsetto. No, maybe by the end of this season. What, what's it going to take to get the falsetto? All the Canadian mm. teams miss the playoffs again? I don't think that's going to happen this year. It's hard to say. Okay. Hard to say. I'm gonna, just, just, I'll, I'll be in the moment. Okay. That's the best way. Keep it spontaneous. All right. For Jamie Eisner behind the glass making angry faces at us, uh, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick Podcast.